Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. There's a new historical drama in stores right now written by Lisa Mond. It's titled St. Francis, Religion of Love. It's an original drama in two acts with an epilogue. I'm really happy that Lisa is right here with me now to talk all about it. Lisa, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this sounds really unique, a historical drama, two acts with an epilogue about St. Francis. What can readers expect? Oh, there is a lot to expect. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually my second historical drama. Hmm. It turns out to be something that I specialize in. It's been a very long journey for me to reach this book, basically. Long story short, about 10 years ago, a filmmaker that I met asked me to write a script dedicated to the life of St. Francis of Assisi for a movie. He, at the time, that filmmaker, he said that St. Francis has changed his life so much and turned his life around. Hmm. So I wrote my first historical drama in 2010, 2011, and it was about Francois Villon, a French poet of the 15th century. That's how it all began. I started to write the script about St. Francis of Assisi. I've definitely heard about him before that, and I've visited St. Francis churches when I was traveling around the world and have seen his statues, but I never really researched him as a saint. So that was the moment when my research started. However, this whole project of creating a script for a movie, it didn't quite work out because the movie didn't get the financing that they needed. So in the end, this project just didn't happen. But I continued my research, and I read a lot of books about St. Francis. I read his testaments. I have visited a lot of Franciscan churches all around the world, and especially in Italy. I went on long trips to Italy to different towns. I tried to follow in St. Francis's footsteps. So I visited the towns that he has gone to, like Chioggia and Assisi and Gubbio and Padua, and have seen statues that were dedicated to him there. So it was a whole St. Francis, following the steps of St. Francis' journey for me in Italy. And, of course, you know, talking to people who know more about Franciscan Church and St. Francis in general. Hmm. So that was my very long, long journey. And then, you know, since the script for the movie didn't work out, I decided to turn it into a historical drama, into this book, into a play. Because me, myself, I've been working in theater for many, many years now, and I write for theater, I direct in theater, I act in theater. So writing a play is something that I do, and I know how to do it. So I decided to turn this into a historical drama, into a play. And that's how it came to be. And, you know, after this thorough research, I definitely have fallen in love with St. Francis even more and uh, his teachings, and it really resonated with me. So I decided to complete this work, and this is how St. Francis' Religion of Love came to be. Wow, I love it. It sounds like something that would have taken you a really long time to do. What was the time frame in this? So like I said, the initial idea came to me with this 
filmmaker about 10 years ago. Mm. So I started writing back then. So I had like drafts of some scenes and actually also because I'm also a composer. Mm. So when I write plays and my books, I hear music sometimes and I record it. And wow. then, you know, when I do productions for theater and I produce my plays and my shows, I use my original music. So at the time, I ended up with, you know, a couple of scenes that I wanted to present to that said filmmaker to show what I've done, what I can offer him. And I've written a couple of songs, a couple of melodies, like there was a melody of like a duet of St. Francis and the bird, how he was talking to the birds. So the work itself, like I said, started about 10 years ago. But because the film project didn't work out, you know, this project was kind of put on a back burner and I focused on other projects and other things. And then I came back to it, you know, uh, one more time, I just I passed by a Franciscan church and I saw a beautiful, beautiful statue of St. Francis, which really inspired me how, you know, the, the birds were sitting at his feet and he was surrounded by the animals and there was the wolf by his side. And I thought, you know, I need to continue writing. I need to finish this project. I need to finish my dedication to St. Francis because once I started my research and have gotten to know the teachings of St. Francis more, he definitely changed my life too. Mm. So I finished my book and here we are. <laughs> it's been published. The title of the book is St. Francis, Religion of Love, an original drama in two acts with an epilogue. This is written by Lisa Mond and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Jump online, get this at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight, Lisa. Thanks for telling me about St. Francis, Religion of Love, and all the other ways you're using your multitude of talents. I had a really good time talking, and I hope we can do this again. Thank you so much. I hope so, too. I hope there will be uh, more to talk about, new projects, and even more about St. Francis. Why Sparks Won't Fly. That's the new book out in stores right now. It's written by Janine Sante, and Janine is right here with me now. We're going to talk all about it. Janine, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. It's wonderful that Why Sparks Won't Fly is out in stores now. Can you tell me about your book? Where do I start? <laughs> it's a very, very, very long story. It started in 2014 when I was inspired to write it. And what kind of an audience is this book for? This book is written for ages about four and up, so four to 100. If one closes one's eyes and hears the verses, it means different things at different times in your life. So I think everybody can enjoy it. And can you give us a taste for what this story entails? Yes. So it was inspired by my friend who is Irish, and I am Italian, Sicilian. So we are kind of opposites as far as temperament. And the way she had her friendship with me, I just felt so loved and seen and valued. So it was our reciprocity in how I did it my way in my language, and she did it in her language. And we became such good friends who uplifted each other through many, many, many hard trials in life. Hmm. Janine, how long did it take you to write this and then get published? I don't remember. I don't believe that the initial burst of inspiration was more than a couple of months to kind of work out the verses and the rhyming, but the process itself took almost a decade hmm. for various reasons, and it was all very inspired. Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this, written a book, or published anything? 
Well, I've written since I could hold a crayon. <laughs> I was writing for copy for pharmaceutical medical right out of college for many, many years. So I have produced work that has been used and seen by the public for my whole life. I'm very, very fortunate to mm -hmm. say that. But this was unique because it was mine and it was my baby <laughs> and it was personal to me. So to have it in the hands and the homes of other people is just such a blessing. Mm -hmm. When you finally got the first physical copy and you got to hold it in your hands for that first time, Janine, what was that moment like for you? Let me ask you, what day, of all of the days in the year, what day do you think would make the most sense? It felt like that day. It was Valentine's Day. The book came out Valentine's Day weekend. Mm. I mean, if that isn't a special blessing from the wow. source, I don't know what is. Yes, yes, <laughs> Valentine's Day, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, didn't, I can't control any of this stuff. Have you given any thought to maybe a follow-up to this book or maybe another kind of book in the future? Yes, I have many books kind of on the stove, but one set in this world, I'm going to keep this relationship going and add to it in, in the world of it hmm. and make it a friendship series. So the next book features a creature that is, he has a plot-relevant mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I really admire the illustrations. Can you tell me what that whole process was like? That's another amazing story. So I was catastrophically injured between writing the book and trying to get it published. Hmm. And so it kind of went on the shelf for many, many reasons. I found the artist at a local Staples. Hmm. She had a doodle. She called it a doodle of a dragon near her cash register. And I was getting supplies and overwhelmed by other things. And I saw this dragon and I knew right away that that was meant for me to see. Wow. So I asked her and she said, oh, that's just my doodle. And then the next thing you know, I asked her to do a spread. And the spread that she did was the cover of the book. When she delivered it to me, I said, uh, I have one change. We need two more turtles. <laughs> <laughs> she read my mind. She, she absolutely, Rachel, Rachel is a brilliant artist and she read my mind. Mm. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's titled Why Sparks Won't Fly. It's written by Janine Sante and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can pick this up everywhere online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, thank you again, Janine, for coming on the show, telling me all about why sparks won't fly. I hope we can do this again sometime. Thank you. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. This book is a combination of grassroots history and personal memoir. It's titled The Bad Old Days, A Decade of Struggling for Justice in Louisiana. It's written by Herbert Rothschild Jr., and Herbert is right here with me now to chat all about it. Herbert, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Can you tell me what readers are in store for with the battle days? Yes. Well, we're talking about the mid-60s to a little past the mid-70s. I was in Louisiana. I am a native of New Orleans. I returned after my graduate work to get into the civil rights movement and did that by becoming part of the American Civil Liberties Union of Louisiana. And in 66, I started a chapter in Baton Rouge where Louisiana State University, my employer, is located. 
Later, I was a state president and still later a legislative director. And wow. I was, in effect, part of all the movements of that time, civil rights movement, the movement for reform of criminal justice, the rights of students, women, and the mentally ill, the protest against the war in Vietnam. Hmm. What gave you the idea or the inspiration to sit down and write this book and publish it? Well, I have to say that looking back on those times gave me a good bit of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Becoming part of a movement for meaningful social change is not the only way to impart meaning to one's life, but it is a really good way to. Absolutely. And I treasured it. It meant a great deal to me, changed my life. I treasured those memories and I thought I would share them. In addition, so much of the history of those times focuses on a few outstanding leaders like Martin Luther King, which is understandable, but it took thousands of people in town after town across the South to change that culture from one of custom, which was based on the systematic humiliation and exploitation of black people to something like the rest of the country. When you think of the kind of reading audience that you were going for here, what sorts of readers are those? Well, anybody who is interested in that history and getting a rather granular sense, that is what it was really like day to day on the ground, what the nature of those struggles were, I think would be interested. It was such a formative period in American life. In addition, there is the constant question, has anything changed for the better? Mm. Because there are continual struggles for racial justice and other forms of social equity. And I think people will find that that world is not the world we live in now, though there are too many elements that are similar, but that it will be an inspiration for people to realize that people can make a difference when they get together and they have a clear idea of what they're struggling for. Herbert, have you given any thought to maybe a follow-up to this? No. Uh, what I do now, and I've been doing it for a long time, is I write a weekly column for the news publication in Ashland, Oregon. Hmm. So I've been doing that since 2014 with a couple of breaks. So that's primarily my focus of my writing. When you look back over all of this, Herbert, what's the most rewarding thing about being a published author and having your voice out there for the world? Well, I have to say that one wants to share with people what one feels is important. Mm. And publication, either through the airways or through print, is the way we do share. And it's the way we form a community of people with shared concerns and shared aspirations. And that's what is so rewarding to me about publishing. Mm. Well, the title of the book is The Bad Old Days. A Decade of Struggling for Justice in Louisiana. This is written by Herbert Rothschild, Jr., and it's published by Fulton Books. Jump online and grab this at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, or iTunes, Google Play, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you here tonight, Herbert. Thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you, Corey. It's been my privilege. Children and dogs can be so good for each other, and there's a new book out right now that teaches children how to interact with dogs appropriately. It's called Emma and Cricket, an Interactive Dog Story. 
This is written by Susan Turner Dodson, and Susan's right here with me now to tell me all about it. Susan, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. What's great, you have Emma and Cricket out in stores right now. Can you give me a taste for what this is all about? Yes, it's a story about a dog. This is based on a real-life experience of mine for a dog named Cricket. And the dog needed a brand new life because of certain details in her life, I guess you'd call it. Mm -hmm. But she gets a new life in the book. And so what the book does is show children certain aspects or details that needed to be improved upon and how to do it. Hmm. What ages of children do you think would this be best suited for? I feel like it's best for three to four years old to maybe seven or eight. I hope it to be entertaining as well as educational. Was this a book that took you a long time to write and put together? Not exactly. However, the process of deciding to do the book took a while Hmm. because I worked part-time as a caregiver. I saw this dog and I got to know her really well, the dog and the owner, I would see something that seemed amusing to me. And I sort of just put it on the shelf. I thought, wow, children would find that funny. It was just in the back of my head. Hmm. So over the course of a few years, I had a couple of good ideas that just sort of stayed there. And then one day I thought, you know, I should see if I have enough to make a book. Is this the first time then you've done anything like this when it comes to writing or publishing? Yes, it is. Although I always thought I might want to do a book, I never dreamed I'd do a children's book. Hmm. Then when you got the first copy in and you got to hold it for the first time, what kinds of things were going through your head? Well, one thing, I was very impressed with the overall look of the book, the quality and everything. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful book. The artwork turned out fantastically. I'm very glad that I went ahead and decided to go publish this book. Have you given any thought to maybe a sequel to this or more writing in the future? I might do another book using these same characters. I thought about having Emma's cousin come to visit her with another pet and how they might interact and get into some misadventure. Hmm. It wouldn't be educational, but it would be entertaining. When you think about why you do it all, why you put all the work in to get a book out there, what's the most rewarding aspect of now being a published author for you? I felt really satisfied. I was very happy with the overall appearance. I I had a good experience putting the book together, and I put it together more or less like an essay. I thought, well, what would I talk about? And I jotted all that down, and then I sort of expanded it and decided to make a, first of all, a con and then a pro in the book so that it would have a happy ending. But it was a very rewarding experience to do the book. A lot of people listening right now, Susan, are authors who are also just starting out and haven't had that experience yet. So are there any words of wisdom that you could offer them? Well, I would tell them to do, if you want to take my example, if you have a good idea or something that you think would be interesting to other people, jot it down and see if you can expand it. Put down maybe the details of why people might want to know more or how you could add to it. And then when you get enough, try to work it out into some kind of readable format. And then you'll know if you're ready for it. Susan, when you went to write, was there a certain maybe time of day or certain place you would go? Or did you kind of write as you found the time or maybe as the ideas were hitting you? More or less as the ideas were hitting me, it kind of took a few days to put it down the way I thought it should develop. Mm. But when I knew I had the book, it was because I did that essay type, what would I talk about? Like you would do a paragraph, you know, I'll do this and then I'll do that. And I realized I had enough for a children's book 
and I wanted to make it interactive, so I had to go back and sprinkle questions in there so they're like little stopping points. If you want to read that to a child and then stop and ask them, why do dogs need to go outside? Stuff like that. So that there could be interaction between whoever's being read to or reading the book and their own experience or their own thoughts about the dog. So I just had to make sure I had proper dotting my I's and crossing my T's to make it all fit. Mm. Well, I really think that children and parents alike are really going to love this book. The title is Emma and Cricket, an interactive dog story. This is written by Susan Turner Dotson and is published by Fulton Books. You can jump online and get this at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes and Google Play, and also everywhere at traditional brick and mortar stores. Well, Susan, it's been wonderful talking with you today. Thank you so much for telling me all about Emma and Cricket. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. Godless v. Liberty, the radical left's quest to destroy America's Judeo-Christian foundation. This is the new book, Out in Stores Now, written by D.D. Simpson. And the author, Dean, is sitting right here with me now to talk all about it. Dean, thank you for joining me here tonight. Corey, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. Can you tell me all about Godless v. Liberty? What can readers expect? Well, it's a, it's a combination. There's history in the book, there's theology, and mixed in there is political satire. There's what I believe a lot of hypocrisy within our leadership, and I just expose it using their own words. And where I tie everything together is where we're going with this, Mm. where we are as a nation. So in order to find out where we are now, that's the history part, I went back and researched how did we come about the Constitution, which people influenced it. Mm. Part of that influence was taken from the Bible, and that's where the theology part comes in. And then where we're going, I really rely on Revelation and the book of Daniel to tie that all in. Hmm. So anybody who's interested in those things, I think would find this book a good read. Hmm. Dean, what inspired you to sit down and write this? Well, this is my third book, and it's a good word. What's the inspiration? In each of my books, there was a strong something that I really felt that needed to be said. In this book, in, in Godless v. Liberty, I just saw how our nation was going. And when I started this book, it was in between administrations. So there was President Trump, and then in the middle of it, then President Biden took over. And I could just see how things were transforming, how our liberties, our Bill of Rights, our First Amendment was slowly, I shouldn't even say slowly, but progressively chipping away. And that's why in in the subtitle, when I say the radical left's quest to destroy America's Judeo-Christian foundation, I felt it was very important to get back to that foundation and show, well, what was our founding father's intent? Mm. And if we agree upon that, then we can see where we have deteriorated, in my opinion, as a nation. Mm. Considering all that research, it sounds to me like something that might have taken you a long time to do. Is that the case? It was a book that, as I was, I was working on my second book, and, and, and the second book kind of ties into this a little bit, not much. It's a different genre in a sense, but let me start with my first one. My first book was titled The Blue Porn, A Memoir of an NYBD Foot Soldier. And it was about my time on the New York City Police Department, hmm. goes into 9-11, and things that transpired around that time. When I finished the book, and this was only, I think that book came out in 2018 or in 2022, so it was within the last four or five years. I love to write. I've always written 
for newspapers, magazines, articles. But I finally finished a book. And now I had the bug. My wife is from Colombia. And of course, she's told me many stories. I, I knew about her journey. And when I was looking for the second book, I said, boy, I said, what, what would be better than telling her story now? Mm. In her story, when I went down, they had the uh, naturalization ceremony. And she's sworn in and takes the oath of allegiance. Anyone has ever experienced that. There's just such a proud feeling to be an American. Mm. And if somebody has it, I recommend that they do. Because I think we take a lot for granted. And when you go to a ceremony, and you see particular ceremony I was at, there was about 100 of those being sworn in. And there's not a dry eye in the room. Mm -hmm. You're just overwhelmed that these people, how much they wanted to become an American citizen. And I just think it's human nature. We take things for granted. Mm. I was born an American citizen. What's the big deal? It's not until you take a step back and you realize how blessed we are and how blessed we've been to have something like the Constitution and those Bill of Rights, that First Amendment. I thank God we live in a nation where we can protest. We can disagree. I just wish we could do it with more civility. Mm. And that's what's being lost right now. I know this is a book a lot of my listeners are going to want to check out. It's called Godless v. Liberty, The Radical Left's Quest to Destroy America's Judeo-Christian Foundation. This is written by D.D. Simpson and is published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can jump online and get this on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes or down the street at your local traditional brick-and-mortar store. Dean, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about Godless v. Liberty. I had a great time talking with you. Corey, likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm really happy to be joined right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable by author Betty Vick Dorsey. Betty, thank you for being here with me. You're welcome, Corey. Thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's titled Betty's House, Clean Up and Move Up. Can you tell me what this is all about? Well, basically, it's about a story of my life, about what Jesus did for my life and how he used a different part of the Bible to give me an example of who he used and how he spoke to the people, the person to be able to tell them to go back and tell their family about what Jesus did for him. Mm. And the man's name was Legion. I don't know if you've ever re read the story about Legion, mm. how God cleaned him up. And he was the only man in the Bible that God actually told him to go back and tell the people what he did for him. And you really emphasize the importance of maintaining a clean home and that metaphor. Yes, yes. I believe that because even though sometimes if we're saved or unsaved, there's various things that happen in our lives and we can feel like we're not exactly where we should be in life with God, but we have a desire to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't know the necessary steps to start over or we do start over and we fall down. So it's just like cleaning your house every day. Once you repent or you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get an opportunity to repent and do it all over again. And not that we should continue in sin, but we have a Savior that is willing to forgive us and give us clean start. That's His mercy and grace is daily. So I look at it like that's the same way the inside of man. Mm. Betty, how did you get the idea for this? What inspired you to write this book? 
Well, the Holy Spirit actually, for like days and days, he would wake me up out of my sleep and he would just tell me about the man named Legion and put it in my spirit that it was important that I would leave a legacy because I've always had a great desire to preach the word, teach the word, and just minister to others. And I didn't have the ability to go all over the world to do it. So I just feel as though he gave me something that would continue on even after I'm gone. Like I had the greatest desire always to preach the gospel. And I thought, how could I do that? And so one day when he gave me this, I sat down and I began to write and I did as he told me to. And I came up with this story. And the wonderful thing is that I understand that I'm preaching the gospel with this book and it's in the simplicity of how he instructed me to do it. So I'm very grateful to have it done it a different way. And Betty, once you sat down and started writing this, was it a long process for you or did the whole thing come out quickly? It was a process because as a person who wasn't really an author, I wasn't knowing how to do it and what to do and what sounded good. I just wanted to be pleasing to God most of all. And I never felt like I was, it was right. You know how we critique our own selves. I always thought it wasn't good enough. But then finally I said to myself, no, this is not about you. This is about what God has assigned you to do. And you're going to put it out there and you're going to let him do it because he gave you the ideal. He wrote the words and you just send it and let the people, you know, receive whatever it is that God has for them. So stop being a perfectionist. Mm. And are you thinking of maybe writing more and publishing more in the future? Yes, I'm actually in the process of writing a book, well, a chapter with 40 other women, uh, Anthelog. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure how you say it, but each woman put a chapter in the book and tell about different experiences they had in their life. And my title is called Justice. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually in the middle of writing it and we're coming up with a title as well. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called Betty's House, Clean Up and Move Up. It's written by Betty Vick Dorsey, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Get this online on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Betty, it was great talking with you here tonight. Thanks again for joining me. You as well, and I really appreciate this interview. Make sure you have a great day, and I hope all the listeners enjoy Betty's House. Clean up and move up. Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. This is the new book. It's out in stores right now. It's written by Rusty Thomas, and Rusty is right here with me now to talk all about it. Rusty, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Uh, It's a blessing to be with you, buddy. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, I'm excited to talk with you today. Can you tell me what this book is all about? Well, I've been in the battle, on the front lines of the battle to end the American Holocaust for probably about three and a half decades. And I figured it was time to put pen to paper to pass on the things that I have learned and also to bring correction to the pro-life movement that in some ways has led astray the Church of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is so many in the pro-life movement have exchanged God's truth for political strategies. And that sort of has confined us to a kind of a pro-life hamster wheel 
that has been bottlenecked by the Supreme Court. And that's why 50 years later, we are still struggling, you know, with child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood and the defilement and pollution that it brings. So this book is written to bring some much needed correction. So we fight this battle God's way with his blessing. Rusty, what kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this? Mainly, well, you know, it's for all readers that are interested in the topic, obviously, but it's specifically written to Christians, those that make up the Church of Jesus Christ, and to really challenge them on what their duty is as Christians, where the Church needs to interpose, you know, using our God-ordained authority which is to bring the gospel of the kingdom into our culture, you know, minister the gospel at the abortion clinics. So hopefully we can reach unsuspecting parents that are getting ready to do the unspeakable to their own children so that they would have a godly choice, a choice that would lead to life and not death, blessing, not cursing. And then also to convince the church to regain her prophetic voice to provide the moral conscience to the state where they must do their duty to treat abortion for what it is. It's a crime. It's called murder. And it must be penalized by law. Otherwise, God's demand for justice has not been met. And our nation is still staggering under the weight of blood guiltiness. And so this is written mainly to Christians that we would cry out to God, deliver us from this evil, and provide for us a future and hope for our children and our grandchildren. Hmm. And you are a seasoned writer. Rusty, can you tell me about your writing background? That's a very interesting development. I've been in full-time ministry for many, many years, since 1982. The writing aspects of it began just as we ministered from city to city, church to church, different venues. People were very much interested in our ministry, and so they asked, hey, can we stay in contact with you? Have you ever thought about writing a newsletter? So simply, you know, we can keep track of you, pray for you, and even kind of support the ministry and what you're doing. And so that's how the ministry aspects began. It just began with a newsletter to stay in touch with folks. And then that developed into writing plays and skits and tracks and pamphlets and brochures and then booklets. And then finally, it graduated to books. Mm. And I understand you're working on more. We can see more from you in the future. Yeah, well, I've also written a lot of other books, but I haven't yet put it through the pipeline of covenant books, but I hope to do so in the future. My wife and I just finished our latest book. It's called Jeremiah Strong. I'm in negotiations right now with covenant books to see what it will take to get that book published. Hmm. Well, I know a lot of my listeners are going to want to check out this book. It's titled Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. It's written by Rusty Thomas, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can jump online and get this at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also down the street at your local bookstore. Rusty, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for telling me about everything. I hope we can talk again. Sounds good, Mr. Corey, and, and thank you for this opportunity. What if someone you've loved and respected your whole life told you they've committed a heinous crime. Danica Hubbard, Ph.D., writes her fascinating story in her book, 
Sex Offender, My Father's Secrets, My Secret Shame. Danica is right here with me now to talk about it. Danica, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I really appreciate you being here, and it's fantastic that Sex Offender, My Father's Secrets, My Secret Shame is out in stores. So can you tell me about this? Yes. I started writing it a few years ago, and the book is really a unique crime story. It combines empirical and experiential evidence based on my experience when my father was incarcerated for 17 years in a state prison in Wisconsin. Hmm. So it's really a hybrid that integrates uh, thoughtful discussions about crime, offenders, victims, treatments, and future policy implications. Hmm. Danica, what kinds of readers do you think would be really into this? I think the target readers or audience is universal. I think it's very widespread because people who will pick up and read my book as a valuable resource, it can be for students of justice studies programs, criminal justice practitioners, law enforcement organizations, social workers, DCFF staff, a very robust readership. But I really envision my book being adopted as a possible ancillary text for community colleges, which is where I work as an English professor, or vocational schools, technical schools, university classrooms, law school classrooms. The possibilities are widespread. Mm. Danica, you certainly have a lot of experience and qualifications for this, but I understand this is the first book you've written. It is. I've published my doctoral dissertation and some peer-reviewed journal articles, newsletters, grant proposals, but this is the full nonfiction book that I've written and published. Was it something that took a long time for you to do? It took about three years from start to finish with research and editing the manuscript, passing it along to colleagues, friends, whomever would take a look at it. So it did take quite a while. Danica, what was that moment like for you then when you got the first copy in of this and you got to hold it and look at it? What was that like? Oh, it was elation, mm. <laughs> relief. It was just like popping the cork on emotional courage, a big cup of emotional courage mm. to finally hold it in my hands and have the realization of all the drafts all the rearranging, organizing, editing that I discuss with my students as a product in my hand. What was it that inspired you to sit down and start writing this and then publish it? Well, I think that I drew from certainly personal experience with my father and visiting him while he was incarcerated. A lot of personal life experiences with memoir and being exposed to the genre of memoir. And the impetus was to reach a sense of wholeness and try to resolve and heal wounds that I had been carrying while my father was incarcerated. So I figured if I, if I wrote it all out, I could possibly share those feelings, those emotions, that body of research with others whose voices are also silenced in the process and try to bolster their courage as well in sharing this taboo and sensitive subject. Mm -hmm. What are the possibilities then of maybe a follow-up to Sex Offender? 
Well, I'd like to, like I said earlier, take it possibly as an ancillary text in several university and college classrooms, and then start to build curriculum and workshops, training sessions, speaking engagements to take parts of the book and utilize it in different venues for people who are interested in the subject matter and people who can heal from the subject matter. I know it took an awful lot of courage to write this and to publish this, but I do know a lot of people are going to be helped and encouraged by it. It's titled Sex Offender, My Father's Secrets, My Secret Shame. It's written by Danica Hubbard, Ph.D., and it's published by Fulton Books. You can jump online and get this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Danica, thank you for joining me here again tonight and telling me all about your book. I had a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you very much. This book says it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and it'll leave you wondering what happens next. It's titled 14 Hands to Freedom, and the author, Glenn Vetter, is right here with me now to tell me all about it. Glenn, thanks for joining me here tonight. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful that 14 Hands to Freedom is out in stores. Can you tell me what this is all about? It's a, it's a story that's been told a long time, but it starts in uh, South Russia, which is now Ukraine, and it's a captain. My great-grandfather was a captain in the Russian army, and it was King Nicholas. It was a czar who took over Russia, and we're banning or killing all the Germans, and we are German from Russia. And so the story starts in 1896 when the captain and all his men are being chased out of Russia. They make it to the shores of the Red Sea and they steal a ship from the Russians. And they have quite an adventure sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, ending up in New York. In New York, they round themselves up on some more horses and some wagons and they set their trail all the way to North Dakota. And during the time, there is horse racing that Glenn in the story is a, has a fast horse, and he races his way across America. His brother, Mark, is a marksman, and of course, their dad is Captain Matt. Captain Matt leads these men and their families' horses from Russia all the way to North Dakota, and there's an excitement in every chapter. Glenn, you said this story has been told for years, and you finally decided to sit down and write it. What inspired that? Well... I don't know if I had a certain inspiration as I had time. Several years ago, I should say it's coming on six years ago now, but I was diagnosed with an incurable disease. I went from being outside active in the sales field, being real active and camping and hunting a lot, training dogs, and I was put in a wheelchair. And every other week I had treatment. And during this treatment, when I would get home, I would feel sick for a little while, but I couldn't sleep for the entire day, sometimes two days, just no sleep. There's only so much TV or other books a guy can read. So that's when I decided, hey, I'm going to write this story. My brother talked about writing a story similar to this, but I don't think he ever got started on it. So I decided to start on this book in the overnights when I was sick, you know, I had intravenous treatment. And when I got home, I just was up all night. And so I decided I'm going to take the time that I'm up all night, all day, all night, the second night usually. And so every other week for about a 24-hour stretch, I would write this book. And it took me quite a while. It, I didn't write every day. It wasn't only the days that I was got treatment, but 
that was the inspiration of what am I going to do with this time? I'm now in a wheelchair. I'm not, can't do anything. What am I going to do with my time? And so I decided to write this book. Have you ever written or published before, Glenn? No. No, my brother is a published author, and I gave him a lot of stories and help with the book, but I have not written a book before. Well, congratulations. What was that moment like for you? What feelings were you having whenever you got that first copy? You got to look at it and hold it. Well, when I, when I got that first copy, it was pretty cool. I was pretty excited. A feeling of accomplishment. I wasn't sure when I started how it was going to finish. I wasn't even sure the whole story. But once I was done and I got a copy in my hand, I thought, wow, I finally did it. But on the other hand, the story continues. And so treatment hasn't ended. I haven't stopped writing. But when I got that first book in my hand, it was exciting. You said it's going to leave readers wondering what happens to the captain next. So are there more books planned? Yeah. My goal is to have a three-book sequence about this family and their story of getting to North Dakota with all their horses and cows. And it will continue. And the second book has started. I'm hoping that the third book brings me up to about the 1930s. And that's where I'm going to end it. A lot of readers are definitely going to be into this. 14 Hands to Freedom. It's written by Glenn Vetter, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Get this online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been wonderful having you on the show today, Glenn. Thank you for telling me all about 14 Hands to Freedom. Come back soon. Well, thanks for having me, and I hope the people that read it can enjoy the book and feel free to, you know, let me know how you feel. It, it was exciting to write it and then read it myself. And there's certain parts of the book that will make you laugh. There's certain parts that will make you cry, and it'll definitely want to make you see what's next for Captain Matt and his family. Sugar artist Roxanne Dickens has a new book out in stores called Jesus with a Side of Cake, and I'm really happy to be talking with Roxanne right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Roxanne, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Can you tell me all about your book, Jesus with a Side of Cake? I love the title. It's a devotional journal based on sugar art creations. And some of these creations takes months to make when it's for competition. Mm. So I decided I wanted that to count a little more for eternity and not so much for a ribbon or a paycheck. <laughs> mm. Can you go back and think about that moment when you got the inspiration, decided to sit down, write this book, and have it published? Well, I thought about it for, I guess, posterity's sake. I wanted all that labor to count for something, and it was like the Holy Spirit just kind of led me to do something that would count beyond me. Hmm. Roxanne, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into Jesus with a side of cake? Well, originally, I thought women, particularly those who were interested in, you know, baking cakes and cookies and creations like that. But my husband read the book and he surprised me. <laughs> he loved it and he started promoting it. Wow. So I think it's really just for people who want to be inspired. Much of the content is our life and the things that I went through during each of these creations. And one of them was my husband's cancer. Wow. And it was a miraculous healing. So I think he really appreciated that I shared how the church and the people of the Lord came together to minister to us. Is this your first time writing or publishing, Roxanne? Publishing, yes. I've written several. I have more I hope to get published. Did Jesus with a Side of Cake take you a long time to put together and then publish? It did because it was written through the course of time. Hmm. Some of the cakes I did 10 years ago. 
You can learn so much along the way of writing a book and then getting it published. So, Roxanne, do you have any advice that you could give to authors who are just starting out and are going to embark on this journey as well? Just get started. Just do it. <laughs> and then you can go back and correct and whatever needs to be done. But until you get started, it's just there. And looking back over it all, you've been writing for a while. And now, what is the most rewarding aspect for you of being a published author? It's just fulfilling, I guess, you know, that a goal came together and it was accomplished. Now, sometimes the writing gets tough. You might get writer's block or just have a hard time coming up with where to go next. So, Roxanne, what do you do when those tough times happen? I get away from it and I just go live my life. And sometimes when I go to bed at night, my head is just spinning and I just kind of let it gel until it will come on and move on. Are you talking about more writing in the future? Are you thinking about doing more around your sugar art? Actually, what I have written is more a novel fiction. Hmm. I'm in the process of finishing the third in a trilogy. Hmm. When you publish a book, you know, you've written the words, but there's a lot more that goes into it. You got to decide how it's going to look, what the pictures are going to be, what the cover's going to be like. And yours with your sugar art, photography was a big part of this. So can you go into how you decided what the book was going to look like visually? Well, because it was my first publication, I decided to use photos that I had taken. I'm an okay photographer. I'm not the <laughs> best. But Many of the sugar art pieces that I chose, I chose with an intent to show a purpose. For example, one mm. of the cakes is about three feet tall, and that's a huge cake. Wow. But it was a humbling experience to make it. It didn't score all that high as far as the competition would go, but it was done during the time my husband spent more time in the hospital than he did at home. Mm. And I needed a distraction. Mm. Others I chose because one of them is a very simple cake, but it's one I made for my sister. It's a real cake. We ate it and she enjoyed it. Mm. I did it to honor her. So each cake was chosen with the message that would go behind it. Mm. Well, I think a lot of people are going to enjoy this book. It's called Jesus with a Side of Cake. It's written by Roxanne Dickens and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Roxanne, thank you for joining me on the show and telling me all about your art and Jesus with a side of cake. I hope we can talk again sometime. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.